If you want to turn in your Bibles to uh, First Epistle of John, second chapter, as we continue on, and we're going to talk about uh, our spiritual state and uh, spiritual maturity, and it's something that I think in our lives that uh, we over evaluate ourselves sometimes in, and God challenges us to look at this. I always like being challenged in my life. You know, when I, I was young and played basketball, I always liked to play somebody a little better than me because it made me a better basketball player, or if it was chess or whatever it was that I was trying to achieve. If I played somebody better than me, uh, even if I lost, I was getting better at it. And I, I often look at these um, epistles of John especially of those things where God is challenging us. He's, he's giving us this test. He's asking us these questions about our relationship with him, about our salvation with him. And, you know, are we doing what it is that God has called us to do? And we talked about when love is right. And as we go through this next little section of um, chapter 2, it's sort of like when love is wrong. And we're not going to really get into that today. But we are going to talk about the spiritual state because knowing God sounds wonderful and it is a wonderful thing but we also need to understand that we are living in a world that is constantly um, attempting to seduce us spiritually to lead us away from the things of God so uh, whatever it is that's going on in the world it's always drawing us away from God there's all these lures that are going on and you know we can think back I remember when I was a, a, a child there was never anything on Wednesday nights there was never anything on Sundays those are like two days that were left alone uh, even for the church, you know, it was sort of like for the church functions, for a confirmation or communion, whatever, Bible study, Sunday was a, uh, the Lord's day. You know, it was a day when people would go to church, even if they didn't go to church, it was always felt sort of sacred. And now we just see that the world crowds in all those things, and it's trying to draw us away all the time. And do we even recognize these things that the world is trying to seduce us with? Um, but John is going to tell us here that there's various levels of of the Christian life. And those are verses 12 through 14. Um, we're talking about children, we're talking about young men, and we're talking about fathers. And really, when we look at the context of it, we're talking about uh, those that are young in Christ, we're talking about those that are uh, maybe the teenagers or young adults in Christ. It's not just men, it's men and women. And the fathers can be the, the, the elders in the church, both men and women. And we need to understand as we look at you know, all the way down to verse 15, that the world is is organized really against um, God, to leave God out. It purposefully leaves him out. So we see it being removed from the schools. We see it being removed from, you know, courthouses, public um, grounds sometimes where we used to post the Ten Commandments or uh, religious statues or recognition days. They're sort of minimizing all those and getting those away. We don't say Merry Christmas. Uh, we say Merry Xmas, and we have, you know, now it's Happy Holidays. Um, the world is just organized, really, to leave God out. And so, as we go through this, we're going to see that the world really attacks us in three ways, and it's, it's the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, it's going to tell us as we get down into 15. And so when we recognize those things, and I believe that all sin, all sin in our life comes from one of those three things, the lust of the flesh, is our evil desires, you know, just the evil things in, in our lives. Uh, the lust of the eyes, covetousness, you know. We're always in competition with the neighbor. Oh, the neighbor's got that. 
I want something that good. I want something better. The pride of life is self-exaltation. And we can get into that today as we talk about our spiritual state where we lift ourselves up. We think higher of ourselves than what we should. And we don't have that humble spirit and pride again gets in the way. And and it's foolish really to um, love this world because this world is temporal. Eventually it's going to pass away and we are going to be left facing a righteous God in all eternity. And so though this life seems long sometimes, we did a a funeral for one of our founding church members of the Jump River Church that I was a part of for 20 years. She was 99 and a half years old, loved the Lord, served the Lord. And she used to always say, you know, I've lived a long time. I've lived a long time. But she always said, you know, I know when I meet Jesus, it's just the beginning of all eternity. And so even though we're in this life and it seems long at times, there's an eternity that lays beyond this. So why a lot of people put all their effort and resources and time and life into this life, um, it's going to end and we're going to be facing eternity. So uh, it's all going to pass away. So John is addressing his readers really according to their measure of spiritual maturity. And one of the things that John and Paul both do is they say, we need to examine ourselves. We need to look in the mirror. And You know, the older I get, I don't like to look in the mirror a whole lot. If I look in it real close, you know, I see flaws. I see things that I don't like. You know, maybe I'm getting wrinkles. I'm getting more gray. I'm getting blemishes here or there. Grandma used to call them age spots. You know, I I look in the mirror and I'm thinking of myself as this young man of 30 years old, maybe. And I look in there and I'm seeing an older man now. And so I don't like to stare into the mirror much. And I think the same is true of our spiritual life. We don't like to look into the mirror. We like to look at others. And we like to compare ourselves uh, to others. But John is really challenging us here. Look in this spiritual mirror. You know, Paul does that when we uh, come to the Lord's table. You know, let a man examine himself. And so let him eat and so let him drink. There's another one that says examine yourself to see if you're in the faith. So we need to get into this self-examination. We need to, to look into this mirror of uh, spirituality and see where it is that we are. Because when we talk about growing in Christ, when we talk about spiritual maturity, it's nothing that that we're ever going to attain fully in this life. We should have a desire in our heart to continue to grow. If we've been a Christian, you know, five years or 50 years, our desire should still be to grow closer to Christ and to know him a little bit more. But many times we think that we are mature Christians or we present ourselves as mature Christians or we call ourselves mature Christians. Um, But the question is, is are we really? And John's going to show us some things in here about our life maybe that we need to look at and say, where am I in my spiritual growth? Do I have this desire yet? So we'll start out with verse 12. And it says this, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. And so I, I just, I love that because we each begin the Christian life as little children. It doesn't matter how old you are. Maybe you came to Christ as a young child. Maybe you didn't come to Christ until you were a, an older person. When you come to Christ, you're coming to him as a spiritual child. You know, age has nothing to do with this. It all has to do with where we start. And when we're in this spiritual state as, as a child of Christ, just a, a new believer, a new Christian, Um, 
It's enough for us to know that what Jesus did suffices for all our sins. He's paid for all our sins. I, re- I can still remember when I prayed uh, to ask Christ into my heart. I, I just remember just believing, and that was it. And I felt this, this burden that was lifted off of me. I had been trying to live a moral life. I had been trying, uh, as far as my mind could comprehend what moral was. Um, but I was trying to do the right things, trying to be the good example. Um, I was hanging out with some Christian people. Uh, but it just wasn't working. Everything in my life was a struggle, and I just felt like so burdened about things. And when the gospel message really became clear to me, and I prayed to accept Christ into my life, that was enough. I mean, it was like lifted up. I, I was filled with joy. I was just excited about things. It was just a, a whole change, and I don't think I ever felt freer in my life than I did at that moment. I mean, and that's sort of how a child is. You know, uh, if you got a, a little child, this, the simplest things just make them happy. You can give them a balloon, you can give them a lollipop or something like that. And uh, for the most part, they're happy. Now, today's kids, are, are they demand a little bit more sometimes, but still, there's a simple thing that, that makes children happy. And in spiritual state, it's it. Jesus paid for my sins. That was enough for me to know that. Um, I, was, I was fully engulfed in that thought and in that uh, blessing and everything that he had for me there. And um, just the thought of what it took for Jesus to forgive my sins, for God to forgive my sins through Jesus uh, who went to the cross. And that was enough. That was my, my baby state, you know, because God's forgiveness doesn't come by degrees. You know, we, we don't get more forgiven as we go on. God has forgiven uh, our sins totally when we put our faith and our trust in him. doesn't mean we don't repent of our sins. It uh, doesn't mean that we don't se- seek reconciliation in those things. Uh, but we're never going to be more forgiven than we are when we first come to Christ. And so that's that, that childlike state that we're in because uh, forgiveness is God's gift. It's, it's not man's accomplishment. So sometimes we think, well, if I do this, uh, I've achieved forgiveness. And forgiveness isn't that. Forgiveness has nothing to do uh, with man's accomplishments. It has to do with God's gift. And so it says this, in his name's sake. It says, I write to you little children because your sins are forgiven you for his name's sake. Well, who's his? That's Jesus Christ. So we're saved because of his name's sake and, and we're forgiven because of his name's sake. So the reasons for forgiveness are not found in us, but they're found in him. And in the world today, we, we hear a lot about God, or we hear a lot about a higher power, um, or whatever that may be. But the Bible tells us that there's power in the name of Jesus. And Jesus is the name that we pray in. Jesus is the one who gives us uh, power in our life. And it is by Jesus' name that our sins are forgiven us. So he goes on in verse 13, he says, I write to you fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. So... They're talking about a, um, an experience that we have had with God. So the fathers, again, this is, this is the older people that have walked with God a long time, uh, uh, an experiential relationship with the Father. And so these are men and women of, of deep and long spiritual standing. They've been Christians a long time, and they've grown during this time. So again, there's a saying that says, you know, you can be a, uh, an inch deep and a mile wide. But God desires us to be deep. 
You know, he, he desires this deep relationship with us. We've had storms that go through, and if you've been out in the woods or you drive along and you see a tree that's toppled, sometimes there's this big, like, root ball that is, has turned up as the tree has come down because its roots are shallow, and it gets toppled over. But an oak tree has a deep tap root, and that goes deep, and those weather the storm. And so these, when he's talking about these fathers here, or these, these people, these are men and women of deep and long spiritual standing. Um, they have the kind of walk with the Lord that just doesn't come overnight. And so again, back to my experience, when I first became a Christian, um, my good friend who was sort of discipling me at the time, he had a King James Bible. So I went down to the Christian Bible bookstore, I bought a King James Bible, and I read through it. It took me a couple days. I read through the whole uh, Bible. And I thought, there, I've read it. I know what the Bible has to say now. And I could talk with them. I just thought, I'm a Christian. And what, what more is there to know about these things, right? And sort of like teenagers. You can't sometimes tell teenagers quite what to do. Oh, Dad, you're just being foolish. And, and it's fun now, as my kids have gotten older and they got kids of their own, that I can sit back and, and I just sort of smile at them when they're going through different things. And they say, I understand now, Dad, why you did these things, or I understand, Mom, why you did these things. But that relationship just didn't come overnight. I didn't have a deep relationship with God because I read through the Bible in a couple days, and I had some of the intellectual knowledge. I've been good at retaining things. I remember even playing a, a game of uh, Bible trivia with some friends. We were at their house, and I had only been a Christian a, a, just a short period of time, and they knew that. They were part of my discipleship. And I remember a question came up and it says, you know, what, what was an Old Testament requirement for a sacrifice? And I had just read that. And so I knew the answer. Well, it needed to be a male, needed to be younger than a year old, needed to be without spot or blemish. And so I gave that answer. And I remember them looking at me like, how in the world does this guy know that? I didn't even know that. So see, we can, we can fool people sometimes. And I was feeling pretty proud about myself. But then when there was some... Uh, you know, easy questions, you know, what are the Gospels? I didn't memorize those. I didn't know it was Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. You know, I didn't know some of those. So this long-standing relationship, anyways, this, this deep spiritual understanding that we have with God doesn't just come overnight. This is one that takes time. And so he tells them, he says, I write to you, fathers, because you have known him who is from the beginning. He says, there's that no, there's, there's a, an intimacy that is there in the relationship, and it's gone for a long time. These are like the, the great oak trees, as we've talked about the oaks uh, in the Lord. They have grown close, and they have grown strong and, and big over the years. They have learned to depend on God and, and to let their roots go deep into his word and deep into what he has for them, and they've drawn their strength off of him. So the roots go deep into the Lord. And so when we look in this spiritual mirror today, I want to ask you, are your roots going deep into the Lord or are they superficial? Are they just on the surface? Are you blown here or there by every wind of doctrine? Do you believe everything that you say or do you go back to God's word? Because I'm a firm believer that everything that we face in this life, every problem, every, every situation can be addressed by God's word. And so, you know, if, if you believe that, this is where you're going to get your strength. This is where you're going to get your wisdom. This is where you're going to get your spiritual feeding. So it's not so much of an intellectual knowledge. There's a lot of people that, you know, they can retain. Like I, you know, like I said early on, I could retain things. 
Intellectual is, is part of it. It's important that we know God's word, but it goes deeper than that. It talks about a depth of fellowship with God. So we have fellowship with one another. You know, there's people that say, well, I don't need to come to church. I can worship God out in the woods, out on the lake, you know, here, there, in front of the TV. I can worship God in all these places. You can learn things from there. But God instituted the church for a purpose. And part of that is fellowship. So we have fellowship with one another, which is a reflection, really, of our fellowship with the Father. And so as we grow in him, we have a depth of fellowship and relationship with Jesus. And so these are the mature uh, men and women that have walked with Christ a long time. And I want to say, you know, if, if you're not there, that's nothing to be ashamed of. It's just that that's where we're growing towards. You know, this is where we go. It's just like a little baby. We have a little child. We don't expect them to be driving cars or tractors at two years old, at least in most communities. We don't. You know, we know that it's going to take time for them to grow up. We actually tell our children, stay a child for a while. You know, enjoy the, the journey into adulthood. And so we do that. And then when we become adults, we sort of blink and all of a sudden we become 60, right? We become older and it's like, oh, we're all, what happened to those 40 years like that? You know, but we tell people that it's a process that we go through. So, so soak it all in, soak it all in and take it all in. And so he goes on in 13, he says, I write to you young men because you have overcome the wicked one. You know, it's talking here about the young men and women that have known the spiritual victories. They, they face these things in their life. Sometimes when we get older, we forget things. I forget what it was like to, to get, um, you know, five children dressed and ready to church on time. I forgot what it was like, you know, to, to balance the, the schedules of, of, you know, extracurricular activities and church and family functions and all these things because right now it's Julie and I. And that's pretty easy. I just do what she tells me and, and we're fine. We just, go on that, we just go on that path. But when we think back, you're like, no. When we think back, you know, I mean, it, it was a struggle. And how many times was it easier to say, I'm just going to stay home? How many times would it, would it be easier to say, I, I'm not going to deal with this anymore, and, and that's just the end of it. But they, they go through the battles. And I commend those that have gone through those battles and, and, and fought those battles. And that's sort of that middle age uh, bracket that we have. Uh, they're no longer little children, but they're no longer, but they're not quite yet uh, mature adults. But they're right in that zone where most of the work falls. You know, because when we get older, we can't do the things that we used to do. And when you're too young, you can't do the things that, that need to be done. And so it sort of falls on these middle aged people. And they're sort of the front liners of God's work. And we need to appreciate them when we have them. Because, you know, in war, we don't send our little children out to war, right? And we don't put our, our old people on the front lines to do battle. It's that, it's that middle age that does those things. And we need to appreciate that. Um, the greatest strength is usually expected from the young people that we have. They have the energy. They have the endurance. Um, and it says, for this reason, it said, they depended upon God's word on this. So he says, because you have overcome the wicked one, they have those victories in life. They're building into becoming the mature Christians. And so I can, I can look in churches and I can see this a lot of times 
through my whole journey through the church, you know, from, from the young. We learned from the young. I started teaching Sunday school when we first became Christians, and I was just so challenged by these little kids just teaching those things. And then they stuck me into a junior high youth group, and all these kids were raised in the church. I never was. They had a lot of fun with me. They would, they would uh, give me trick questions and, you know, just make me try to work for things. Uh, but I always made a determination that I would bring them back the answer. And it was years later, actually, one of the, one of the young men had come back from Chicago. He was part of, uh, actually, was the, the head of Young Life in Chicago, Illinois. And he came back, and one time he just says, I, I really just appreciate, uh, in Sunday school, he says, you knew we were, we were always funning with you and testing you, weren't you? And I said, yeah, I sort of figured that. But he says, I always appreciate that you, that you tried to find the answer and you'd bring it back the next week. And so it's all this growing process that we have. But for some, they just want to stay in that infantile state. They, they don't want to get on the front lines. They don't want to do the battle uh, or the work. But God tells us we need to grow because if we're not choosing to grow, right, if we see a child that, that isn't developing, you know, at a regular rate, we know that something is not quite right. And the same is with us spiritually. If we're not growing, if we're not desiring these things, if we're not maturing, something's wrong. But some people choose to stay in that infantile state because um, they don't want to be active. They don't want to do what God's word has to say. As a matter of fact, I've had people tell me, well, we're only accountable for what we know, so if I don't read God's word, then I'm not going to be accountable for that. And of course, I have to take them into God's word because they don't read it, and I have to say, well, no, that's not really the fact. You're still going to be held accountable for this thing. So when we want to stay in that, that infantile state, it's sort of like being a a draft dodger or a vagrant. It's like, you know, something that is not desirable. God wants us to grow in these things. And he goes on in the last of 13, he says, I write to you little children because you have known the Father. And I like that because the first stage of, of spiritual growth is we really begin to sink our roots into God's word and into God and really his love. We just sort of walk in his love. Again, that freedom that I tell you that I experienced, um, that burden being lifted, it was just amazing to me. And you know, the Bible will tell us and the, just nature tells us that when we really love someone or something, we spend time with it. You know, I mean, if you really love sports, you spend time watching sports. If you really love your wife, you spend time with her. You want to know everything about her. If you really love your children, what they do interests you. You know, I mean, we have grandchildren spread out all over and we want to know what they're doing. And again, we live in a day and age where we can get these, uh, whatever, Snapchats or uh, Facebook things, you know, where we can see pictures of them. But when you love somebody, you want to do this. Well, again, we can relate this to, to our spiritual side. When we really love God, I mean, we desire to know more about him. So we know him as our caring father, uh, and we see, his, see ourselves really as, our de as his dependent children. And so the question is, is are you dependent upon God? You know, Spurgeon had this quote that I just love. It said, little children, when they begin to talk and go to school, how proud they are of their father. Their father is the greatest man that ever lived. There never was the like of him. You may talk of them, of great people, of great warriors or great princes, but these are nobodies. Their father fills the whole horizon of their being. Well, so it certainly is with us and our father God. Does, does God fill the whole horizon of your being? Because if not, something's missing in our life. Something is intruded. Something is, 
is robbing God of your attention. We should be consumed with the Father. We should be consumed with everything that he has for us. We need to be his dependent children. And again, sometimes we become like uh, those teenagers that they don't want to be under the authority of their their parent. They think that they know a little bit better. They think that they got it figured out and they don't always like that. Spiritually, we do that sometimes. But we need to understand that we need to be dependent on the Father all the way from our infancy in Christ to our maturity in Christ. We need to be dependent upon Him. You know, John actually uses two different words for children in verses 12 and 13. And one of them refers to a child's dependence on his parent. Right? So if you have a little child, that little child is dependent upon you. Dependent upon you to, to feed, for hygiene, for you know, clothing, for all these things. The child is dependent upon you for everything. God desires that for us. The second one, though, that he talks about in verse 13, talks about an immaturity and a need for instruction. Okay? So there's two parts of, the, of this childness that we have in ourselves. One is the dependence upon God. One is the need for instruction and, uh, uh, in our lives. And so we still need to be there. Do you need instruction in your life? You know, most of us know the answer. Most of us know what it is that God desires of us. But we choose not to apply it to our life. We're sort of like that little rebel child. And so when we look at this again, at 14, he comes back to the fathers. But he says, but you fathers, you have known him who is from the beginning. So he reemphasizes this again. He says, you have known him who is from the beginning. You have this experience with him. You have this, this walk with Christ. Uh, it's both true and deep. So again, I want to ask you to ask yourselves, how deep is my relationship with God? Do I spend time in prayer? Do I spend time in his word? Do I spend time in study? Do I spend time in fellowship? Because God desires those things, and that's how we become both true and deep. So we can become true. We can just be a Christian. We can have said our, our prayer and, and trusted in him, but maybe we are resisting the Holy Spirit leading to learn more, to grow more, and to be more active in what he has. You know, Paul in his letters to the Philippians um, said that he counted all of his previous accomplishments uh, and achievements in his life as rubbish. He said, for the excellence, uh, surpassing greatness of knowing Jesus. And he says this in, in 310, that I may know him. Paul, this old man we would say was a mature Christian, a teacher of the church, an evangelist, a church planter, going around, people listening to him all the time. And he says, all, you know, all these other things in my past, they're like rubbish. I think King James says, dung. It's, it's no good. It's a of, of a heap of garbage compared to this, that I may know him. As a matter of fact, in, in context, it says this, yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. And he says, you know, I, I was a, he was a Pharisee, right? He was a keeper of the law. His, his walk was moral and good and right. But he says, that was my righteousness. He says, my righteousness is what I want, is through faith in Christ. The righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him in the power of his resurrection. That I may know him. And that know is that intimate word again. 
I want to know God intimately. Him and me and I and Him. I want to spend time with Him. I want to know what His Word says. I want to know His will for my life. And I want to walk in this in my life. That I may know Him in the power of His resurrection. That power of the resurrection gives us the, the victory over sin in our life. You know, it says we may be tempted, but God has provided a way out that we may know the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. That's quite a profession from an older Christian. To know him, I want to know him, that I may know him. And so he goes on. Not only have the young men overcome the wicked one, but they've done it through the power of the word. The word of God. Many people don't read their Bible today. Many people let others read it for them. Or maybe they'll read a little devotion. And the devotions are good. We have many devotions here. I think that they're very applicable to our lives today. But it's not a substitute for getting into the word of God. Reading the word of God. But they have overcome the, the, the wicked one. They have been doing battle in the things of life. Uh, through the strength that comes to them through the word of God. God's word will give you strength. God's word will give you hope. God's word gives you comfort. No matter what it is that you are facing in your life, God's word has that answer for it. And so these young men have done it. The old ones are teaching the young ones that this is where it's at. Because these mighty oaks of faith, they've gone through the storms. They got the scars. They got the, uh, the, the trials of life that they've gone through. And they're teaching these younger ones the same thing and they're saying it's by the word of God and these young men this is like their, their, their shield of faith. They're walking in God's word. And so the question comes to this do you consider yourself one of these younger ones spiritually? And I know in here we're, most of us are a little bit older uh, and that's fine too. But are you strong? When we're talking about this now I'm not talking about age wise I'm talking about in your spiritual walk. Maybe you're a babe here, and that's fine. Continue to grow. Continue to nourish yourself with the Word of God. Maybe you're in that, that middle class of, of the young believer. You know, you're not, you're not a, a seasoned believer yet, but you're not a, a, an infant in Christ. Are you strong? Are you, are you uh, applying God's Word to your life spiritually? Are you putting the strength to some spiritual use in your life? You know, we can have these gifts, we can have these things that God has given us, but are you using them? Because that's what God wants. It does no good to have all the talents and all the blessings and all the gifts that God has given you, and they're just sitting there on a shelf. God wants you to use those things for his honor, for his glory, for his uh, body of believers, I believe. And so are you putting your strength to some spiritual use, you know? These, these believers had gained some spiritual maturity, but it was through the power of the word. I you spending time in the word of God? Because these were people that were known by the fact that God's word lived in them and through them. You know, I like to say, uh, you know, I, I love transparent Christians. I love the ones where you can see the chinks in the armor and you can see some of the flaws and the scars and the battle wounds and things like that. But I also pray for a transparent life in my life that when people look and listen, that they're not seeing me, but that they get a glimpse of Christ. Because for some people, we may be the only Christ that they ever see. 
Paul, Paul tells us this, that we are living epistles known and read of all men. You know, each of you is a book. If you like it or not, you're a book. People make judgments, you know, and it's not always by the cover. It's by the way that we live. Paul says we are living epistles known and read of all men. Are you a living epistle that is showing the love of Christ, the grace of Christ, the mercy of Christ? Are you living God's word or is it just a profession or or a a title that you carry uh, with you? Because people really are going to judge things. And you can say, well, that's not fair. But that's people judge by the things that we do, by the things that we say, by the way that we act. The word of God had made it as a home in their hearts. And the question is, has it made it a home in your heart? Let's pray. Father, we thank you again, Lord, for your word. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you can do through your word. Your word is alive. And your word can speak Lord, to our hearts. Father, we pray for those. We pray for those that have maybe been self-deceived. Most deception in the believer's life is self-deception. It's not others always leading us astray. It's that we choose to go a different way. But Father, we pray for those that are seeking you. We pray for those, Lord, that desire a closer walk with you. And Lord, for those that are just sort of complacent in their walk or unsure of things, Lord, we just pray that you open their eyes and that you open their their hearts to you. Lord, we need to have a desire, Lord, to walk in you. We need to be that healthy young child that um, has everything going for it and just sinking our our, our roots deep into what you have for us. And as you know, the, the younger believers too, Lord, just that we continue to grow, that we never become satisfied with where we're at, that we know that you always have more for us to accomplish and to do. And it's not that we're earning anything, it's just walking in your wonderful, uh, magnificent grace and, and, and life that you have given us. Lord, you have placed us here on this earth for a short time. And Lord, there is a work to be done. It tells us that the The fields are ready for harvest and few are the workers. So Lord, give us a desire to become those those mighty oaks. Lord, to continue to grow this whole life to draw closer to you. And Father, we just pray that as we look in the mirror of our spiritual state, that we would take a long, hard look. Lord, that we could really just see where we are at, Lord, and, and where we need to be. And Lord, depend upon you for your strength and your wisdom and your guidance to bring us to where we need to be. We thank you for your great love for each one here, Lord. We pray for those, Lord, that need your hand at this time, need your touch. Lord, may you comfort them in a very special way. And again, Lord, may your spirit just be at work in their lives too. Continue to draw us close together as a family. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.